Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello there, my friends. If you are interested in the gut and in your gut health, then get ready, grab a pen. We're going to do a deep dive today. We are going to talk about the gut from top to tail and some things that could go wrong and things that you should be super aware of. This was a workshop that I originally recorded um, a little under a year ago for the Rise Run Retreat. That is a women's running retreat put on by Sarah Canny. Sarah's actually been on the show. She was one of my uh, first guests in the first year of the podcast, episode 32. She talked about competitive training and intuitive eating. And um, her website is riserunretreat.com. You can head there. If you're a runner, definitely check that out. Um, this was during like pandemic, like right in the in the 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 uh, the heat of the pandemic, if you will. So she did a virtual um, retreat this time around, and um, I have been lucky enough to attend one of her in person. Uh, retreats in Vermont. And then also I got to speak at the virtual one as well. So this is the workshop that I put together for her group and we are re-releasing it here for you. Make sure you stay tuned to the end because there's a solid 18 minutes of Q&A. So um, anyone that had questions could lob those cues to me and I answered them up and there's a lot of really great stuff there, which leads me to the fact that the Carb Compatibility Project cart is officially open. You can sign up today. Head to my brand new website, thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash CCP. Of course, functional is spelled with a K just like this podcast is. And I will also link that up for you in the show notes. As soon as you enroll, you get access to all the bonus material. So that includes prep week. We officially start January 10th, but if you're like, um, I need some help now, sign up now because you do get access to prep week. You get access to all the bonus material. So this gut workshop that you're about to hear, you get the video presentation with the slide deck to go along with it. So if you're more of a visual learner, you'll hear me refer to certain things and you actually get to see that in the bonus video of the CCP. You get access to my three and a half hour gut workshop where I take all the concepts that we're exploring today and we really blow them wide open. You get access to workouts from Steve house and blaze yoga in Pilates. You get access to labs to ask your doctor for as it relates to blood sugar regulation. And um, all of that is rolled out for you as soon as you sign up. So even though we don't begin till January 10th, you can start your process now if you would like. So the CCP, it's a four-week nutrition program setting you up for metabolic health, for good immune function, for good 
gut health. It's a vibe. Uh, 10% of all of our profits are going to go to gathernewhampshire.com that provides food for folks in need because it's very challenging to get good nutrition if you don't have access to good food. And so just know that a portion of your investment is going to go to families in need. And um, we want to, we were able to donate 2,500 last year. My personal goal is to be able to double that this year. So if you do sign up, I want to thank you for your contribution. And what I will say, if you like the Q&A segment at the end of this and you want the opportunity to ask questions every single week, the CC play the CCP is the place to do it. It is the only place that I'm interacting with folks. So one hour every single week, we sit down, you ask me all of the questions, anything you wanted to pick my brain about, anything that's going on in your head having to do with nutrition, that is the place to get your questions answered. So some people just join the CCP for that access to a nutritionist to be like, hey, here's what I'm doing. What are your suggestions? And um, that is a, a huge aspect of the program is getting that feedback in real time as you navigate the curriculum, as you navigate the program and the food templates and the, the meals and things like that to get real time feedback from a professional to be like, hey, hey, this is happening. Is this normal? You know? Um, so Definitely join if you're somebody who is looking for assistance. And I super look forward to um, the next round of the CCP. I have found that when anything gains in popularity, there's a lot of uh, ways that we can kind of muck it up. And that's what I'm seeing happen with gut health right now. Uh, the two big like kind of buzzwords uh, are bu buzz terms are leaky gut and microbiome. So I would love if you could raise your hand or just put in the chat box and let me know, have you heard the term leaky gut before? Are you familiar with that term? Um, okay. So I'm seeing people raise their hands. All right. So I used to travel around. Um, uh, let me see. I'm going to Okay. I've been diagnosed with it. So Whitney, I have a lot of clients that come into my practice. My private practice is really dedicated to gut health and gut restoration. Um, and I have a lot of people come to me being like, I was diagnosed with leaky gut. And I say, where's the test? And they're like, oh, my practitioner just said I have it. So there's, um, a, a, there's almost an abuse of this. And I'm not saying that that's the case for, for you, Whitney, there's almost this, abuse with it because it's so popular that everyone's just like getting these leaky gut diagnoses without actually any um, receipts, so to speak. So I used to travel around and teach a three hour gut workshop. And I will say that the majority of people at that point had never heard of leaky gut. And that was like about three years ago. So in the past three years, leaky gut has essentially exploded. And um, we're going to talk about that today. Sarah had said, hey, can you do that workshop in 45 minutes? I'm like, three-hour workshop in 45 minutes? Sure, no problem. Um, so I'm going to do my best to consolidate it. But what I was really thinking about, I'm like, how do I get the how do I give these people the most bang for their buck? I've got 45 minutes with them. What is the most pressing thing that I want them to walk away with? What do I see most often in my clinical practice? And I also have a podcast, you guys. Um, so I can send you some resources for follow-up information because I'm not going to be able to get into the nitty gritty of every single topic. Um, the podcast is called the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I just hit a million downloads, which is extremely exciting. It's a really big deal in the podcasting world. But that 
that will give you a ton of extra information if you want a deeper dive in all of this stuff. But between my podcast audience, between my clients, I, I am seeing a lot of stuff go on in, in gut health. And it's what I refer to as skipping steps where we want to talk about leaky gut because it's the big popular buzzword, right? We want to talk about the microbiome, but we're failing to acknowledge that the GI tract is more than just the small intestine where leaky gut happens in the large intestine, which is where the gut microbiome lives. We have an entire tube from mouth to anus. My kid is six and a half years old, her and, um, my husband just started doing Uranus jokes with each other. It's amazing. Uh, so mouth to Uranus is the GI tube. So if we're just looking at two little sections and being like, I'm going to fix the gut. I'm going to get good gut health by working on leaky gut. We're missing a huge section of the tube. So I really want to go over the process of digestion with you all. And I'm going to share my screen so we can bip on over to the actual lecture. Can you guys just give me a thumbs up and let me know that you can see that? I mean, I don't know how you would give me a thumbs up, but okay, cool. Thank you. There's the chat. All right. So gut health is a bit of an endemic. 70% um, of Americans have some type, type of chronic ongoing GI situation, right? Whether that's reflux, bloating, belching, farting, constipation, constipation. If you're not moving your bowels at least once a day, that is constipation. So if you're pooping and it feels like there's more that's come needs to come out, if it's dry, if it's hard, if it's less than once a day, you're constipated diarrhea, floating poop, greasy poop. These are all things that I see on a regular basis. Lots of people are suffering from them and we've sort of normalized it because it's so commonplace, but it is anything but normal. So why are we all kind of collectively dealing with poor gut health? It has a lot to do with the way that we live our life. Our inner ecosystem, our gut microbiome and the microbiome that's all around our body, that's like the flora, the bacteria, the fungus, the viruses that live in and on our bodies, they're a direct relation to our outside world. So our, the lifestyle that we're living is what's known as an evolutionary mismatch, meaning our external environment has changed so fast that our bodies, our genetics, our bacteria have not been able to keep up. So there's this mismatch in that our genes expect a certain environment and we're not actually getting that in our world. Modern diet is atrocious, right? It's very, very high in refined carbohydrates, in, in refined sugars, we're not able to access the food that we need for our microbiome, the, the fibers that our bacteria ferment. Uh, birth, I, I always get really nervous talking about this. I'm kind of like, don't shoot the messenger. This is just the information. But the way that we birth in our culture is, uh, is very, very problematic from a microbiome standpoint with, with the, the high levels of C-sections. Um, our vagina inoculates our baby's microbiome. It seeds our baby's microbiome. So if they're not passing through the vaginal canal, we miss that initial inoculation. That can lead to gut health issues later on in life. Um, same deal with breastfeeding. The breastfeeding, uh, breast milk has its, has its own microbiome and has its own fibers that we can't find anywhere else outside of breast milk. We can't reproduce them. So it's pretty, pretty incredible. We of course have the widespread use of antibiotics. I'm a kid of the eighties and the nineties. My gut was hammered with antibiotics. 
probably yours too, right? We're starting to see the long-term consequences of that, but we didn't know that back in the day. So now we're all suffering with collateral damage. Um, medications, PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, or acid blocking drugs, even something like Tums or Nexium, all of these things stop our own production of stomach acid. We'll talk about why that is such a massive problem. Um, NSAIDs, things like Advil, what they can do is actually cause that leaky gut process. Um, they rip open the lining of the, the stomach and then they can punch holes in the lining of the small intestine if we're overusing them. And all of these are things are so commonplace. We also have this, this obsession with cleanliness more so now than ever where we're bleaching and Cloroxing everything in our site to make things hyper clean. But unfortunately, our, our own bacteria rely on bacteria in our environment. So we're sterilizing the environment around us and we're also sterilizing our guts. It's a really bad thing. And then the, just the increased use of plastics, things like BPA plasticizers are really problematic for our own microbiome, right? So you can see how like all this world that we're living in has kind of collectively impacted our gut. And what we fail to realize is that we're all custodians of an extremely fragile ecosystem. The ecosystem within our gut is very fragile. So we can't take a round of antibiotics and then pop a probiotic and be like, everything's fine. Everything's great. Good, great, grand. No problem. That's not how it works. It isn't how it works. So some of the species in our guts are being killed off and we don't know how to repopulate them. We don't have the ability to regrow those species. Once they're gone, they're gone. That's a big problem because different species have different functionality within our, um, within our bodies. I'm hoping that the camera isn't blocking this, but we'll do the best we can. So we're all walking around with this, like what is known as the modern gut or the westernized gut here in the US. And I do a lot of stool tests in my practice and I get to see what's going on at the level of the large intestine, what's going on at the level of the microbiome. And you can see on the left-hand side, this is somebody whose beneficial bacteria, those probiotics are all really low. That's a bad thing because when our beneficial species are low, we're not able to fight off the pathogens. And so on the right-hand side, you can see the, those overt pathogens, E. coli, C. diff. This is a problem. If we don't have the um, those probiotics, which are, are almost like an army of immune soldiers, then we're going to get every single pathogen we come in contact with. And that's kind of what we're seeing now and one of the reasons why gut health is so such a big deal. But really what I want to talk about is digestion because it is a north to south process. It happens top to tail. So if something's broken up at the top, it's going to stay broken all of the way down. And this is why I get really frustrated with people going on leaky gut protocols. If you're not addressing the, 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 the things that come before the leaky gut, your leaky gut is gonna stay broken and it's gonna stay broken and it's gonna stay broken. I don't care how much glutamine and zinc you're taking. So let's go through this because not many people have a deep understanding of how their own digestion works. And it's arguably one of the most important things that's happening inside of your body. And I really want you to think about it like dominoes. The first domino needs to fall for the rest to topple down. If the first domino doesn't fall, you're screwed all the way down. So we really wanna take it from the top digestion begins in the mouth, right? The act of chewing food basically pre-digests your food. It breaks down your food for you. So you're not just throwing hunks of food down into the stomach and being like, good luck down there. I don't know what's going to happen, but here you go. Um, the, the act of chewing also 
um, fires up the a nerve plexus at the base of our skull in our brain at the base of our skull. And that sets up the chain of events that need to happen for the rest of digestion to take place. So for uh, peristalsis, it, um, muscle movement to move food down, for your stomach to produce appropriate acidity, for your pancreas to pump out enzymes. What we're trying to do with digestion is take food that we eat and break it down into smaller and smaller and smaller bits. And chewing, the act of chewing gets all of that started. And yet so many of us are running around cramming food in our pie holes while we're multitasking and running around. I did this little video on Instagram, the top three reasons for bloating. Number one is eating on the go. That used to be one of the, the most frequently quest, uh, asked questions I would get is like, what are meals and snacks, quick meals and snacks that I can eat on the go? And I'm like, let's back it up a step because you shouldn't be eating on the go because your digestion won't work if you're eating on the go. So we have to take our time. We really have to chew our food. There was a study that looked at how many, they looked at almonds and what was the best amount of time for the, 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 the best amount of chews to chew the almonds to actually access the most nutrition from the almonds. And it was 30 to 40 times. Most of us aren't chewing our food 30 to 40 times per bite, right? So that is like the very first thing to start with. We have to actually chew our food. If we're not doing that, everything else is gonna stay broken. And then we have this, um, this muscular contraction called peristalsis. And it's kind of like squeezing tooth, uh, toothpaste out of a tube of toothpaste. And it just is squeezing the bolus of food down, 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 down. This peristalsis, this wave-like movement can get really jacked up if we're under stress, if we're running and gunning, if we're multitasking when we're eating. If peristalsis is too quick, that's going to give you the trots. That's the rumbly dumps, right? You're going to be pooping your pants. Peristalsis is too quick. That's quick motility. However, if it's slow, that's going to lead to more constipation. And I see that quite commonly with low hormones, especially with low thyroid hormones. It really helps to thyroid sets the pace of everything in the body, including motility. So a big common symptom of hypothyroidism is constipation. It's kind of under talked about. So we need things moving in the right direction. We have these set of muscles called sphincters that help that to happen. So things aren't moving in the wrong direction, leading to nausea and reflux. And then we have the stomach. And this is like really important. The stomach is kind of an unsung hero because this is where we produce heaps of acid. And stomach acid is so important because it is our body's first line of defense against the outside world. If you think about it, eating is taking the outside world and it's bringing it into our bodies. And there's so much risk of bad things to happen, right? There's risk of pathogens and bacteria and viruses to come in, hitch a ride on the food that we're eating and come in. Now, ideally, if you have appropriate stomach acid, that acid is going to kill those things off. No big deal. But a lot of us are dealing with low stomach acid. We also need stomach acid to break down our proteins. So here are some red flags that you're not breaking down your protein. You feel like you're not digesting your food, like food sits like a brick, like, oh, I eat the food and I feel heavy in my stomach. Or if you're just like, I don't like protein. I don't really like meat. I don't like protein containing foods, just kind of like have a bad taste in my mouth for it, so to speak. That can be indications that you have low stomach acid. If we're not breaking down protein adequately, 
Go back to like seventh grade science, right? We have amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. Those amino acids combine to create peptides. We're like little mini protein structures. Those peptides combine to create polypeptides, which are long protein structures and eventually protein that we eat in our food. So we have to reverse engineer that and break our protein down all the way to individual amino acids. If we can do that, our immune system totally recognizes amino acids. They're like, no big deal. If we can't break down our proteins and things get into the bloodstream in like big protein hunks, our immune system's like, whoa, I do not recognize this. What's going on here? I'm gonna launch an attack. And now we have food sensitivities. And one of the main reasons for an uptick in food sensitivities is that we're simply not breaking down our proteins adequately. So here are some, some signs of low stomach acid that you can take a peek at a lot of us are experiencing these, right? It's pretty darn common. We also run the risk of being low in minerals like iron, for example, we need appropriate stomach acid for that. B12 is another big one that we need appropriate stomach acid for. Um, if you're reading this and you're like, oh my God, it me. I do have a free digestive guide on my website. Um, I'm sure Sarah can give you guys the link. And it's an entire guide on how to figure out if you have low stomach acid and then what you can do. So I won't spend too much time talking about that here because you can get that guide and it really breaks it down for you. But, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of symptoms. There's also a link between the gut and the skin. I did two podcast episodes on this, so I won't get into this too much, but all, all of these conditions, rosacea, acne, eczema, psoriasis, uh, seborrheic dermatitis on the, the scalp, alopecia, vitiligo, lupus, and hives are all found concurrently with low stomach acid. So we know it's a really big deal. There we go. Um, oh boy. Hang on. Shoot. I was going to ask you guys a question and give you a little quiz, but I already gave away the answer. So we're just going to have to skip that. We also need appropriate stomach acid to for the, 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 the rest of the chain of events. So the pancreas has to release di uh, digestive enzymes to help us break down our food. If that doesn't happen, we're not breaking down our food. That's a problem. But in order for the pancreas to release digestive enzymes, what do we need? We need acid. Same deal for the, uh, the gallbladder and, and bile. We need the gallbladder to release bile so we can emulsify our fats. If that's not happening, then we're not breaking down our fats. If we're not breaking down our fats, we're not able to absorb fatty acids or uh, fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K. This is a really big deal. So we need those things to happen. So here is the single most overlooked issue digestive issue in women. It is gallbladder issues. I uh, posted this on Instagram. I got about 150 responses. I was like, guess what it is? And nobody guessed what it is, except for the one person um, that, that's in my practitioner training. So I'm training her. So she knew. Um, but gallbladder issues are completely overlooked because doctors are looking for gallstones or for acute, um, like an acute crisis moment. And at that point, they just pull your gallbladder out. But this is like the end of the spectrum and gallbladder issues can start all the way up here. If you are a female, if you are 40 or over, if you've had children, you are at risk for gallbladder issues. So chances are that fits a lot of us here. So let's talk a little bit more about it. Here are some symptoms of gallbladder issues. And again, it really has to do with breaking down fats because the liver creates bile. It goes to the gallbladder, which stores and release bile. 
Now we're pumping out bile in response to eating dietary fat because it helps to emulsify it. That's how we break down fat. It has to be emulsified, kind of like soaped up a little bit, like put some Dawn dish soap on it. That's what bile does. So if we're not breaking down our fats, we're going to get bloated. We're going to get distended that like pregnant belly. We can burp after we eat fat. We can burp after taking fish oils because fish oil is a fat. We can start to get um, referral pain in the upper back between the shoulder blades. Um, of course, abdominal pain can be part of it. Uh, just overall digestive complaints. Stool can change color. So it can start to look more like clay. So a lighter colored stool, you can start to see red, uh, uh, your palms can get red, itching skin, dry, flaky, really itchy skin, all signs of gallbladder dysfunction. So what conventional medicine does is just yank that thing out. It's a pretty easy surgery. And then they're like, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Your gallbladder is out. You can't have gallbladder problems. So I'll have come, people coming to me with a lot of gallbladder symptoms, but they're like, no, no, I don't have gallbladder problems. I don't have a gallbladder. You can still have gallbladder problems without a gallbladder because the cystic duct becomes the new gallbladder. So basically what the surgery does, it just snip, snip, snips the gallbladder out, this green thing right here, and it rewires things. So the cystic duct becomes this little tiny pouch. Why this is a problem is because the gallbladder squirts out a lot of bile in response to eating food. So you eat a lot of fat, it's going to squirt out a lot of bile. When the gallbladder is gone, what happens is that the cystic duct just kind of trickles out little tiny bits of bile instead of that big, robust squirt. So it's kind of like a garden hose when you put your thumb over the hose and you get that big blast versus the, the, there's like a leak in the garden hose and it's just slowly trickling out. So we don't have enough bile to emulsify fats. And that's really why we can have these problems. So anybody with their gallbladder removed or anybody dealing with gallbladder issues should be taking lipase enzymes. That's something that helps to break down fat in also exogenous bile salts. So ox bile is the one that I recommend the most. And by the way, that's all in my, my digestive guide. So you can learn a little bit more about those. Um, bile is another unsung hero. We think about bile as breaking down our fat, but it plays a lot more roles with detox, detoxification, uh, with blood sugar control, with metabolism. Bile is basically like signaling agents. So it's speaking to your microbiome. It's telling them, it's telling the bacteria how to, um, be in charge of insulin signaling, how to regulate your own, your overall metabolism. It's clearing toxins out of the body. So gallbladder issues create a tremendous amount of problems. Um, and unfortunately we just don't hear about it enough because leaky gut is way more sexy. Talking about bile sludge, less so. Some things that you can do, this is gonna support your digestion from top to tail, from mouth all the way down, um, and also help with that bile production. Any bitter flavor will do. So the watercress, the arugula, endive, uh, endive right? Think about the foods that make you go like this. That bitter, that bitter flavor is really uh, helpful to stimulate your bile production, to thin out the bile, and to also um, stimulate your own production of stomach acid. The problem is that these, we don't really eat a lot of bitters in our modern diet, right? Like, look at this list. You're not really doing too many of those chances are. And if you are, you might be adding sweetener. So coffee is a bitter, like bless up for that. However, if you're putting cream and sweetener into your coffee, it loses its, um, its bitter effect because we really have to taste, taste those bitter flavors. So that is something that you can start implementing like tomorrow. And then we get to the 
I don't know what's going on. I'm, this is a little sticky. Then we get to the small intestines where it's like the magic happens because this is where we digest all of our food. This is where we absorb all of our nutrients. So you need to have good health in small intestine if you actually want to access the nutrition. So many of us spend a lot of time and effort eating well. We want to be able to actually absorb that. And that's why the lining of the small intestine have these little finger-like projections called villi. It's to increase the surface area of the small intestine. So we have the lumen, right? The, if you think about the intestine like a tube, the inside of the tube is the lumen. And then inside, it looks like this. It's kind of like a shag carpet if you think back to like Brady Bunch era, right? Here's why I never let somebody talk shit about their body. We shit all over our bodies. We're so hard on our bodies. And we're like so hyper-focused on like losing 10 pounds. And we forget to acknowledge that our bodies are bleeping miracles. I mean, the fact that your body was like, huh, this is where digestion happens. This is where absorption happens. Let's increase the surface area. Let's grow some fingers so we can grab more nutrients. I mean, you're a walking miracle. The more I study the human body, the more I understand mechanisms, the more I'm like, oh my God, don't ever talk shit about your body in my presence, because I'm going to remind you that your body is a miracle. Look at this. Look at what your body is doing. You don't even have to think about this it's just happening. And so you can see how important these things are. They have lymph flow, they have blood flow, lots of stuff going on because so many good things happen in the small intestine because it's so important. There's a lot of potential for bad things to happen too. And this is where leaky gut comes into play. Leaky gut in the medical literature is really called intestinal permeability the lining of our intestine acts like a barrier system. It keeps the good guys in and it keeps the bad guys out. So ideally our nutrients and like good things are able to access our bloodstream and the bad things like toxins and bacteria and undigested food should really just keep going through the lumen so we can poop it out. We can get rid of it. The lining of our intestines are one cell thick. That's it. Just one cell, one measly little cell. And those cells fit together really, really tightly like this. They're all sandwiched together. So if you see this image on the left-hand side, that's what healthy intestinal cells look like. They fit together nice and tight. In between those things are proteins called tight junctions and they're like gatekeepers. So they open up the, the cells slightly to let things in or let things or to keep things out. It's like, should I stay or should I go? Your tight junctions really decide that. Open it up or close. What happens with leaky gut is that there's an issue with those tight junction proteins. The gatekeepers are broken. They're off duty. They're, they're drunk. They're not doing their job good. And so things start to get into the cracks. And right on the other side of our small intestine, you can see the bloodstream is there right? So if things are getting in to the blood that don't belong there, because really ideally they should just be passing right through that tube so we can poop it out, but they're getting into the blood. And all of a sudden it's creating this inflammation. And it's like, oh my God, there's bad things going. They're ringing the alarm bells. They're like, Hey, immune system, something wrong is here. So we have all of this inflammation right at the lining of the gut. And because the bloodstream is there, that inflammation can travel anywhere. And this is why digestive issues don't just present as digestive issues. And what I mean by that is leaky gut symptoms, 
can look like bloating, gas, belching, farting, all that kind of stuff. But it can also look like weight gain, brain fog, depression, anxiety, hard time concentrating, that brain fog, skin issues, asthma, allergies, hormone imbalance, autoimmunity, right? It can, it can have so many different effects in the body because we'll go back to that previous slide. The blood is right here. The bloodstream is right there. And so inflammation at the lining of the gut, that bloodstream can carry that inflammation anywhere. And so you can kind of see what's happening in the case of leaky gut. It's a broken barrier system. So it kicks off this widespread systemic inflammatory response throughout the entire body. And it can really manifest as so many different things. Hey, let's take a quick break so we can talk about low sugar nutrition. I'm always looking for kind of quick and dirty ways to pack in extra nutrition, polyphenols, antioxidants, fibers for my gut, and even herbs for my stress response, like the more adaptogens, the better, which is why I use Organifi powders every day, several times a day. I love to put them into my water. This is great if you're one of those people that struggles to just get enough hydration, get enough water. And if you feel like water's really boring, these powders can zhuzh it up for you. My kiddo loves them. She feels like she's drinking juice. I also throw them into my smoothies just as a way to get some extra nutrition. My personal favorite is the red juice. So it has lots of different red powders Things like acai, cranberry, pomegranate, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, all of those polyphenol-rich red and blue powders. And if you've listened to the show or you've seen me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about the benefits of these powders. They feed a very unique and particular type of bacteria in your gut called Acromantia. Acromantia is a keystone player. It's wicked important for keeping your gut healthy and strong. It prevents leaky gut. It also is very important for metabolic health and insulin signaling and controlling blood sugar. Now, unfortunately, I do a lot of stool tests on people and see that acromantia is low, sometimes even below detectable limits. That's a real bummer. Some of the bacteria in our guts are little piggies. They'll eat anything. And then some bacteria are more like snobby foodies that will only eat specific things. This acromantia bacteria loves to eat red polyphenols. So the more red foods you can eat, the better. And getting red powders is super important as well. So the red juice is something that you can grab super easy and it's low sugar. All of Organifi's powders are under three grams of sugar per serving. And most of them offer up fiber as well to counteract any spike in blood sugar. So highly recommend, I throw them in my smoothie so I can pack in a bunch of veggies without adding a ton of fruit that might spike my blood sugar. And I can still make them sweet and palatable. Go to Organifi's website, Organifi.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Be sure to use the code FUNK. It will save you 20% off of every single order you ever place. You get a good deal and you get to support all the good things in your body too. 
And I won't, this isn't a topic or a, a presentation about autoimmunity, but I do have to bring it up. It's near and dear to my heart. I got very sick after I gave birth to my daughter six and a half years ago. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. It is an absolute, absolute endemic in our country. We are just exploding in numbers, especially with women. Um, but in order to get autoimmunity, in order to have an autoimmune situation happen, you have to have the genetics. 2021 right now, most of us have those genetics anyway. There has to be some type of trigger, some type of thing to kind of push your immune system over the edge. For me, it was childbirth. I know we don't like to treat childbirth as like a major huge event, but it is. Um, and then the third thing is that you have to have leaky gut. So that whole process we just talked about has to be present in order for autoimmunity to happen. So leaky gut opens up the doorway to autoimmunity because right there, right where the bloodstream is, we also have um, right here in the bloodstream, we also have 80% of our immune system. It's known as gut associated lymphatic tissue. And so what happens is when the immune system starts to respond to things that are in the bloodstream that don't belong there, remember things are getting into the cracks that shouldn't be. So then the immune system is like, oh wait, this is a problem. We have um, immune cells that reach up into the lumen inside the tube and it samples things. And is like, is this friend or is this foe? Should it stay or should it go? And what happens is these cells, these dendritic cells get overzealous. All of a sudden they're like tagging everything. They're like, fro, fo, fo, fight, fight, fight. Everything's on red alert. And what happens is that your own body gets tripped up. It gets mistaken. It's trying to protect you against pathogens, but it starts tagging your own tissues for destruction. It is trying to protect you, but it gets confused. And so what happens is that you're, you create antibodies to your own body's tissues. Autoimmunity is self-attack. And this is the mechanism of how it happens. It really originates in the gut. And so this is why people are so fixated on leaky gut, because it's a big, it's a BFD. It's a big fucking deal. <laughs> that is what my uh, microbiology teacher used to say. And I'll never forget it. So yeah, leaky gut is a big deal, but we also need to understand that there's more at play because that digestive process has to all work in order to prevent the gut from getting leaky in the first place. Um, I just wanted to throw up this stat because it's, it's shocking to me that uh, nearly 80% of people with autoimmunity are women. That is the vast majority. And I see it so much in my clinic. And I think a lot of it has to do with how women carry ourselves. We pride ourselves on being tough. These are direct quotes from clients of mine. I have to do everything myself. I have to do it. It's on me, right? Uh, I don't think I'm under any more stress than the average person, right? We downplay our stress or we thrive on pushing ourselves. This, I, I can completely relate to this. I align myself with being a high achiever. Like I get it. And also, it's really detrimental to our bodies in some ways. And we're really good at muting our body's communication systems, right? Those little whispers from our body, we're like, ah, forget it. I'm tougher than this. Forget it, forget it, forget it. Or we get gaslit when we go to the doctors and we say, hey, I think something's wrong. They're like, no, no, no. You're a mom. You're just tired. It's all in your head. Go home, get some sleep, right? So we don't, we're not able to access that communication between our body or we go dark on ourselves and we don't listen to things until they become screams. Those whispers eventually become screams in the form of a diagnosed 
situation like autoimmunity. So I want you to understand that digestion really begins in the brain. So we were talking about it starting in the mouth, but what has to happen in order for us to digest appropriately is the brain has to make a decision. Am I in a stress response or am I not? We have that autonomic nervous system, right? With two arms, we have the sympathetic, our stress response and the parasympathetic, our uh, relaxation response. We need to be in a parasympathetic state, in a relaxed state. With <laughs> I just realized this screenshot that I took had like a pop-up chat. So just ignore that. We have to be in a relaxed state in order for our digestion to work appropriately. Digestion shuts down. It shuts down when we're in a stress state. We're not activating those digestive juices. Peristalsis gets sped up or slowed down. We stop producing stomach acid. We stop producing bile. We stop producing um, digestive enzymes. And we also move blood flow away from the intestines. Without blood flow, we really can't do much. So it's a really big deal that we have to be in a relaxation response. There's a reason that it's called rest and digest. And this is one of the biggest contributors to that whole leaky gut process that we were talking about is this, the fact that we're under so much stress. Um, I just want to make sure that I'm not forgetting anything. I feel like we're, my slides are a little sticky, so I just want to make sure that we're good. So let's talk about causes of leaky gut. There are over 20 causes of leaky gut. So obviously we don't have the time to get into all of that today. Um, but the biggest ones that I see are stress. So this can look like dietary stress because our modern diet is highly inflammatory. It's highly antigenic and it's low in nutrition. So this creates inflammation at the lining of the gut. If there's an inflammation at those, those cells, right? Those cells, then everything can get really mucked up and it can lead to that leaky gut process. But dietary stress can also look like food fear restriction, restrictive eating path patterns, um, disordered eating tendencies. I will say that 90 to 95% of the clients that I see over the past 10 years, I've worked with thousands of clients, 90 to 95% of them have some sort of disordered eating mentality when it comes to food. If you're sitting down to your food in a stress response, every time you eat, your digestion will not work appropriately. Hard stop. We also have to look at psychological stress, stress and trauma. So if we have the PTSD brain, that's going to impact our motility and digestion boundaries. I love to talk about boundaries. Leaky gut is quite literally a boundary breach, right? Our barrier system is broken. So we have to evaluate in our life. Where's that happening outside of our bodies? Where am I not maintaining my boundaries? Where am I not saying no when I need to? Where am I bending over backwards in order to keep other people comfortable? Where am I not honoring myself? I'm letting myself break my own back because I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. Women are really, really good at doing this. We are the peacekeepers at the point of our own health, risking our own health to keep the peace around us, right? So this has to come into play. Um, and some other things that we kind of already, already talked on. Overtraining, I have to hit on this because overtraining is one of the, the, the causes of uh, leaky gut. Uh, we know that our endurance athletes have leaky gut, kind of like it, it, physical intense exercise will cause leaky gut. So one thing that you can do if you're, um, if you're a hard trainer is do 20 grams of glutamine after events. This is a, this is pretty well researched. It's a, it's a very, very high dose, 20 grams of um, 
that amino acids, like extremely high dose, but it could be something to implement. I would also recommend really ramping up your antioxidants that can kind of help with the oxidative stress piece that we see with overtraining. So antioxidants are going to come in the form of like really pigment rich fruits and veggies. Um, and you can even supplement with different, um, antioxidants, which I think if, if you're a hard charging, um, person, it's a really good idea to do that. Gluten sensitivity in some people can impact those tight junctions. So those proteins between the cells, um, I tend to see this a lot in my practice. I test for this quite a lot. So this one test, it's called the wheat zoomer. It's actually available for purchase on my website, but it shows you, um, a leaky gut panel. So this person has leaky gut. They're developing antibodies to their own body's tissue. And you can also see here, these are the different peptides within wheat. Um, and this person is highly reactive. She has a lot of red on her, on her, um, on her chart. So every single time she's eating gluten, she is impacting the lining of her gut and her it's triggering an immune response. What I want people to understand is that we have Wolverine like powers, literal superpowers happening inside your gut self healing, right? We can self heal. We forget that. We're never taught that. We're taught the opposite, but I'm here to say we can self-heal. The lining of your gut, those cells regenerate every three to seven days. You are building a new gut every single day. Every single day, you're building a new gut. Again, don't, don't you dare talk shit about your body in front of me. I'm going to tell you why you're a walking miracle. This is one of the reasons. However, if what you're doing, if you think about it like this, a brick wall, right? Our gut is like a brick wall. It's keeping the bad things out. It's keeping the good things in. And we're able to every day put new bricks into that wall. So we're like repairing damage. We're doing all the things. We're holding up that brick wall. However, if we're taking bricks out faster than we can put them back in, well, we have a pretty shitty wall, right? We have a broken barrier system. That's a problem. And for some people, gluten can do that. Gluten can be the thing that's pulling out the bricks every single time you eat it. Stress can be the thing that's pulling out the bricks every single time you eat it. Overtraining can do that as well. So it's a really important concept to keep in mind. This is why I rage against the idea that treating leaky gut is as simple as putting somebody on a leaky gut protocol. No, you have to understand where the leaky gut is coming from. That is more important than any supplement you will take. Um, so I want to, this is not a hormone lecture. Unfortunately, I love to talk about hormones too, but Dr. Stacy Sims is going to do that tomorrow. So look forward to that. But I do want to just show you a snapshot of what my hormone, my overtrainers look like. And I have a little asterisk there because this is people who are overtraining, overachieving, and just in general, overdoing it. They are pushing it to the limit And this kind of thing has a look when it comes to our hormones. So you can see here, no estrogen, no progesterone. This person isn't even ovulating, no testosterone. Her DHEA has fallen. This is like our vitality marker. Her, she's making very, very little cortisol. This is a problem. This is a depletion picture. We also have this same deal, overtraining. Her cortisol's crushed. 
She's just not making any cortisol. Cortisol is a stress response, uh, stress hormone. So it's not good when it's high, but it's really not good when it's low because it's anti-inflammatory. It's helping our body combat inflammation. If you're not making cortisol, your immune system is in the gutter and your inflammation is like off the charts high because we don't have a way to moderate it. This is also an estrogen dominant picture where she's making heaps of estrogen, but she's too stressed out to mount an appropriate progesterone response. So estrogen is taken over and driving the show. Then if we layer on restrictive eating patterns, which I see so frequently, it looks even worse, right? Even worse of a picture. Then, oh, good gracious. When we layer on fasting, because intermittent fasting is so great, right? So good for your brain. So good for your cognition. Not if you're a menstruating female, it's crushing your hormones. Don't at me, bro. I've seen hundreds upon hundreds of hormone labs. Every single person, every single female that's menstruating that is fasting, their hormones look like shh, bad. <laughs> look like this. It's not good. You can see how high her cortisol, her stress spikes in the morning because without food, we're not able to utilize glucose. So we have to boom, have a big, huge stress response. Cortisol is a glucocorticoid. It helps to stimulate the production of glucose. It helps us get glucose into the system. So when you're fasting, when you're not eating, you don't have a dietary source of glucose. So what you are doing is you're leaning on your stress hormone to do that for you. She's not making a lot of cortisol, but her free cortisol is off the chart because she's not eating. So what does all of this have to do with your gut? Everything, everything. Because in order for us to have that Wolverine superpower, we need appropriate hormones to rebuild and repair the gut. So if we have high cortisol, low thyroid, low progesterone, low estrogen, low testosterone, we're going to have leaky gut. We cannot repair that barrier system. We need good hormonal health in order to do that. In fact, when I'm working with women, I will usually start on the, the neuroendocrine piece, the brain in the, the, um, the brain and the hormones before even looking at the gut and trying to heal the gut. Okay, now we're going, I know we're pressed for time, so I'm gonna cruise through this. We're going into the colon and the microbiome. So the gut microbiome is like two to six pounds of bacteria, of flora, of fungus, of yeast, of like all these like little critters two to six pounds. We have a lot of it. They kind of drive the show. They do everything. It's now considered an organ because of all its functions. It modulates the immune system. So it protects against food sensitivities and allergies. It sets the pace of motility. It has a lot to do with our nutrients. So it makes B vitamins. It makes vitamin K. It helps us absorb minerals. It, um, I'm sure you guys have heard the term polyphenols. It's a type of antioxidant, super, super important. But those polyphenols that we eat in our food aren't even absorbed by us. The bacteria have to turn them on. They essentially activate those phytonutrients, activate those phytochemicals. So we get to reap the health benefits. Bacteria essentially eat the food that we can't eat and their poop has all of these beneficial um, health benefits for us. So if you're eating turmeric being like, I'm really feeding my gut, you actually have to have a beneficial bacteria in order to make that happen. We can also build out hormones in the gut. So there's this interconnectedness between the guts and the hormones. Um, it helps us to 
regulate our blood sugar and insulin. It has a huge impact on our mood, depression, anxiety, inflammation, and then also detoxification. It helps us get rid of the toxins that we come in contact with day in and day out. So again, I showed you this already, but the Western gut is really low in those beneficial species. And when they're suppressed, the bad guys can take over the parasites, the yeast overgrowth, like candida, the, um, the, the overt pathogens, which is a bad, bad thing. In order for our guts to be healthy, in order for our entire body to be healthy, we need diversity and abundance in the gut. So we need a lot of different bacteria and we need a lot of them. So how do we do that? Right. This is, this is like the most important part. How do we do that? One of the best ways to do that is to increase plant fiber diversity. So the more species you can eat in a week, the better. So we're going for multicolored. We're going for lots of different fibers. This is why restrictive diets are problematic. And I'm even talking, I'm not talking about restrictive diets from a caloric standpoint, but like healing diets that are restrictive, like a low FODMAP diet or AIP, autoimmune paleo, sometimes a ketogenic diet if you're not doing it appropriately, the GAPS diet, all of these diets that were built out for healing, if they're misused, if they're misinterpreted, and if you stay on them long-term, they can decimate the microbiome. This is a problem. So the more plant species you can get into your pie hole day in and day out, week in and week out, the better from a microbiome standpoint. We want those polyphenol rich foods, the blacks, the blues, the reds, the purples, the browns, the greens, and lots of prebiotic rich foods. Um, I can show you specific prebiotic powders if you're interested at the end of this, but from a, a, um, a dietary standpoint, anything that's growing in and under the ground, your roots and your tubers, I never peel off my carrot skins because they have prebiotic fibers. Like the more, the more variety you can get, the better. And um, I just had something to say and it went right out of my head. Anyway, with those prebiotic fibers, you want to start, if you're not eating a tremendous amount of them, you want to start low and kind of work your way up because they can contribute to some bloating. If you go like hot and heavy right out of the gate. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Um, I'll, I'll say it in a second. Um, how about probiotics? Everybody wants to know about probiotics and here's the deal. You cannot repopulate the gut by taking a probiotic. So you can't decimate the microbiome. You can't kill off the microbiome. And then all of a sudden just pop an Activia or take a probiotic and be like, oh, my gut health is fine, right? It doesn't work that way. The probiotics do not have the ability to repopulate the gut, to grow out new bacteria. They can be helpful while you're taking them. So they have a lot of powerful effects in transition, like as they're moving through your body uh, for about a week, they can lower inflammation, they can modulate the immune system, but they're not really changing your gut. So it's a really um, misunderstood concept in the world of gut health and probiotics that probiotics are reseeding the gut. They are in fact not, unfortunately. Um, here is an Ackermansia smoothie. Now, Ackermansia is one of our keystone players. It is so important. We were talking about leaky gut. Ackermansia is a bacteria that makes your gut healthy and strong. If Ackermansia is low, you're going to have problems keeping that gut barrier system healthy. And I see this so much on stool tests. So you see Ackermansia right here. It's below detectable limits. That species is gone. That can be a problem. We're going to do everything in our power to grow it back. For, for this person, that species is gonzo. Certain bacteria 
are like little piggies and they will eat any food you feed them. And so there's less risk of them going away for good. But certain bacteria like acromantia are like the foodies. They're like food snobs. They'll only eat certain things. They have a very distinctive palate. And so what acromantia likes is all of the red polyphenols, all of the red things, cranberries, raspberries, red apples, um, red quinoa, um, red rice, pomegranate juice, pomegranate seeds, anything that is red in flavor will preferentially feed acromantia. So acromantia keeps our guts healthy and strong. It also is very important for blood sugar control and metabolism. It's associated, low acromantia levels are associated with obesity. So it's a pretty big deal. So get those red polyphenols into your system. Let's see. Uh, I think this is the last, oh, this is the last thing I wanna say. Addressing the microbiome is becoming the foundation principle in addressing chronic disease, right? So we know that we have to address that ecosystem in our guts in order to keep our overall systems healthy. However, conventional medicine still has not caught up. So you're going to the gastroenterologist, the specialist, and they're not really giving you any solutions or tools. They might give you a medication or they might tell you it's all in your head. And this is what I'm consistently seeing time and time and time again. This We walk away feeling like we're overreacting that we're hypochondriacs. This is like the allegory of the unwell female in the US. And I know it because I lived it. And I know it because I've worked with hundreds of women who have had the same experience. What I want to say, what I want to leave out, never let your healthcare pro provider gaslight you. Your shit is not in your head. It's real. It's happening. Keep going until you find somebody who is willing to pay attention to you, to validate what you're experiencing, and to listen to you. Because the origin the absolute origin of the term hypochondriac came from Greece, which and it literally translates to under the cartilage, under the rib cage. What's under the rib cage? The gut. So, so many women who are being gaslit as cuckoo crazy are really dealing with massive GI disorders, which lead to immune disorders. Okay. So, all right. I went five minutes over, but that's actually really good for me. So I'm going to open up, um, Sarah, you might pop back on now. Yep. Coming back on here. So if you want to stop the sh screen sharing, there we go. Um, so that was amazing. I feel like I just learned so much in so little time. <laughs> I have, I know, sorry guys, I went fast and furious, but I no, wanted to in a good time. It was great. And I think what I appreciated about everything that you um, shared is that a, a lot of times I think because everyone is coming from the running community, they've often heard like the traditional sort of RD um, runner take on things. And so to have this different perspective, this more holistic and functional perspective, I think is really valuable. So, um, let's open up for questions. There is the, um, obviously the Q and a chat box is right there. Um, and you can type in a question. Um, you can also go ahead and raise your hand. If you have a specific question you'd like to ask Aaron as well. Um, All right. I can hop in because I can see. So Emma wants to know, what do I think, think about fecal transplants? I think they're incredible. So fecal transplants plants are basically you're taking somebody else's feces and you're putting it in yourself. Um, I mean, it's like a actual process. You're not doing this like at home or like in your backyard at a barbecue, but um, it can be absolutely instrumental uh, for some people who are so chronically uh, unwell in their gut that that no tr uh, treatment, whether it's conventional or um, alternative is helping them, but you see really profound results with that. Um, Whitney, can you reverse autoimmune diseases through gut health? You can, and I'm telling you that because I'm Wolverine. 
I did the self-healing, right? With autoimmunity, it's usually very multifactorial. So you can't just look at the gut. I think where we're doing, where we're going wrong in functional medicine, which I'm a part of the community of the functional medicine um, community, I think that we're doing some of the same stuff that we do with conventional medicine, which is to isolate different parts of the body and say, well, we have a specialist for endocrine health, right? We have a specialist for the endocrine system. We have a specialist for the gut. We have a specialist for this. We have a specialist for this rather than taking a massive step back and truly understanding how they're all so interconnected. And with immunity, immunity, your immune system touches every single part of your body and it interacts with every single system in your body. So it's not always as straightforward as fix the gut, heal the immune system or fix the gut, fix the autoimmunity. It's usually a little bit more complicated than that, but gut restoration is always a part of um, reversing autoimmunity. How do you become a functional nutritionist? Um, I spent 10 years figuring out my continuing education because back in the day when I graduated from dietetic school, there was not anything that was really available to me. So I, I studied to become an RD and I went a different route and just continued to do my own um, functional training in the functional medicine space. Um, and now I actually created my own academy where I um, teach functional nutritionists, uh, the disciplinary of functional medicine. So there's a lot of, there's a very long-winded answer to that, but that is the short and the sweet version. What kind of doctor or specialist would you suggest someone see to look at all of the things? Uh, that's kind of tricky because not all practitioners and providers are created equal. I, I mean, I definitely think that functional medicine excels in when it comes to chronic illness, um, kind of picks up where conventional medicine leaves off and not to knock conventional medicine. If I break my arm, I'm not going to like an herbalist to fix it. Okay. I'm going to conventional medicine. Um, but they don't really excel with chronic illness or with autoimmunity. It's kind of like a big question mark. So I do think that a functional medicine provider is the, um, is the ideal way to go when you're dealing with chronic autoimmune stuff for sure. Okay. So it looks like there's a few questions in the, the chat box over here. Oh. So Yana says, um, what should we look for in finding a nutritional health provider? Um, depending on what you want to do. If, it, if you're just looking for nutrition, somebody help you to clean up your diet. I feel like that's pretty, that's, that's easier to find than if you're looking for the functional medicine piece. Um, you just want somebody that understands the concept of narrative and is not going to put, if, if here's how, let's reverse engineer this. Here's what to look out for. If somebody is putting you on the same plan that they're putting every single other person on, that's a problem because our bodies are really, really, really different. And so you need somebody who understands how different we all are and is willing to listen to not only your health history, but your food history. If somebody's coming to me with a history of disordered eating or restriction, then I'm never, ever, ever going to put them on a restrictive diet. So you have to have somebody that really understands all of that and is not going to just kind of put you on a blanket statement, um, diet. Um, some of this felt a little overwhelming and now I feel like doing everything wrong when it comes to my gut health. What are the first few action steps I could take to improve my gut health? This is a great question. Clear out the antigenic food. The highly antigenic food is food that is going to trip up your gut and your immune system. So 
for a lot of us, this looks like gluten and dairy. Don't shoot the messenger. Again, I've worked with thousands of clients and this is what I tend to see. Um, but really, if you're not willing to go that far, just back it up a step and remove processed foods from your diet. So these are things that are coming in like boxes in bags, right? Really strive for more of a whole foods approach where you're eating foods that like actually come from the earth. That is like the very first most fundamental building block that you can do for when it comes to your gut and also um, managing your stress and being able to downregulate your nervous system. Those are the two most important things. Um, would you say Mediterranean diet is overall good for decreasing, decreasing inflammation and weight? Yeah, for inflammation, absolutely. Weight is a little bit of a um, trickier topic because there's so many different factors that can play into, into weight. Um, I have an entire podcast on weight loss and all of the different contributing factors. Um, so I would highly recommend checking that out. Okay, Donna, since menopause, I've had issues mainly problematic while running. There are times when I'm running while I have soft stools with real urgency. The worst is when I don't even know that it's occurred and I poop my pants, horribly embarrassing. It happens to a lot of people, Donna, and a lot of runners. So don't even, I talk about poop all of the time. There's nothing embarrassing when it comes to poop in my book. I'm on HRT and have a hysterectomy. I did FODMAP as a test, found that garlic and onions are a big trigger. Cutting down has helped, but not solved the problem. This is really specific. Can you point me in the direction to learn more? So from the sounds of things, I would definitely think about gallbladder. Um, gallbladder issues can create the diarrhea picture. I would also think about maybe getting tested for SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. If you did kind of okay with a low FODMAP diet, that can be ind indicative that you have a bacterial overgrowth in your small intestine. So we have the small intestine, we have the large intestine. Most of the bacteria should be here. If they tr start to move up into the small intestine, it can cause a lot of problems um, because bacteria ferment our food. When they ferment, they produce gas. We're used to dealing with that in the colon. If it's happening in the small intestine, it creates a lot of problems. Diarrhea can be one, uh, constipation, bloating, uh, upper GI stuff. So those are two, two things to think about, gallbladder or SIBO issues. Uh, Amy is a dermatologist and can say that many of our inflammatory conditions we see improve with healthy food, drink, and exercise. Who would have thunk it, Amy? We can give great meds, but as he says, it requires more than that. Can you discuss the continuous glucose monitor and how the average person can get one? I listened to one of your podcasts about it. And I'm interested in it. Okay. So a CGM, the one that I use is Nutrisense. I would recommend that company. Um, it's expensive. So you can do a two week trial for 150 bucks. And I think that is well worth it for the data. But if you want to do an ongoing, I think it's like $300 a month. And I paid for the two week trial myself. And then they gave me a two month trial for free so they could come on the podcast podcast and talk about it. And by the second month, I was like, eh, I was kind of bored with it. I don't really think it warrants that kind of, um, that kind of money, unless you know that you have insulin signaling problems. In that case, I think it can be really helpful. Um, but I also don't think it's like a very good starting point. I think you need to work on the basics, work on um, eating in appropriate way. I have an entire uh, program called the Carb Compatibility Project, which is a four-week process to help you regulate your blood sugar. So I would do something like that and make sure that you're eating well before you jump into a CGM. And I'm not saying that, that you're not, Amy, just kind of generally speaking, I don't think it's a good starting point. And I don't think it's good for somebody who 
if they, the, who tends to overthink about their food, cause you're seeing a lot of data. And sometimes that can be kind of triggering for some people. Like it can put them into kind of a negative headspace. So if you're somebody who like hyper focuses on data or like overthinks, I don't think it's actually a great tool for that, that cohort of person. Um, but NutriSense is the one that I would recommend. I think they're really great. Does your project work with vegans? My CCP, um, the carb compatibility project is, um, there is an option to do it as plant-based. Yes. I am not seeing any more questions. Did we get them all? I think we did. And just to, to um, add another sort of dimension to Donna's question um, in terms of sort of urgency and incontinence on the run, um, pelvic floor health and strength plays a huge role in that as well. So and all of this stuff is like working in combination. And I know you've done work at Oceanside and you know, Kristen, um, there's a, a local physical uh, therapist who specializes in women's health. Um, but yeah, that's that could be another piece of the puzzle is a weakened pelvic floor. And if you can do some physical therapy to then strengthen and reinforce that pelvic floor, the instance of, of leaking um, might potentially go down as well, so. The reason that I harped on the SIBO is because if you do a low FODMAP trial and you respond well to it, that can be, that can be like almost like a pretest for SIBO. And then also postmenopausal gallbladder issues up, up, up the risk for them. So that's kind of, and we see a lot of um, diarrhea because you're not, it's fat malabsorption. You're not able to like handle or process your fats. So I think those would be like the three big things to absolutely look into. Um, you can get the SIBO test, not from a GP, you would have to get it through a functional provider like myself, or some gastroenterologist will do them and um, it might be covered by insurance. It's a little bit tricky. Um, some GI docs are incredible and they're super willing um, to do, to, to, to run the test. And then I've sent clients out to their GI doc who would, would not run the test. So it's kind of like luck of the draw, depending on who you're working with, but it does require a specialist. A GP could not order that. So it looks like we have another question from Heather in the Q&A box. Yes, the gallbladder issues um, is in the digestive guide. The big things, the big needle movers are thinning out your bile. So any, all that digest, um, like bitters, <laughs> there's the word, all the bitter foods, you can take um, bitters in like a tincture form, like it comes in a supplement form. Um, ox bile can, is like really aggressive, but um, helps to replace your own bile. So it kind of depends on how significant and severe your issues are. Um, and then lipase enzymes help us break down fat. So those are all of the different things that you can work into rotation. Can I speak a little bit more about my thoughts on Hashimoto's? Um, that, I mean, I have like 40 hours of content in my practitioner training about Hashimoto. So just to give you some insight, it's a very big topic. Um, I will say that the way that we treat Hashimoto's in conventional medicine is, it's a little bit um, mismanaged because Hashimoto's is an autoimmune illness, meaning that there's dysfunction with the immune system. It is an immune issue with an endocrine fallout. So it's primarily an immune issue, but we're attacking an endocrine gland, the thyroid. And so traditional treatment is to hammer the thyroid with more thyroid hormone and never, ever, ever, ever talk about the actual immune system. So 
we really should be addressing the immune system first and foremost. I'm not saying that thyroid medication is bad or wrong. A lot of people actually need it. However, we're missing the whole, the whole picture. If we're only treating the thyroid gland itself and not addressing the immune system. So hopefully that was helpful. Oh, you're welcome. Is black tea considered bitter? Yeah, especially if you brew it strong. If you brew it nice and strong and you're not adding sweetener to it, that's the big one. Do I have a podcast for cystic fibrosis? I do not, Nicole. I do not. We can add that to the queue. If you know a specialist who I could interview, I'd be more than happy to do that. Is milk a sweetener? I mean, milk contains lactose, so it would... Um, it, I guess it depends on how much you would add, whether it would override the bitter. Ultimately, you still want to taste the bitter. So hopefully that's, that helps. If you add a little splash, it's probably not that big of a deal, but if you're like drinking it nice and creamy, probably is not going, you're not going to get as much bitter benefit. So I have a question actually. So let's say that you are starting to incorporate, um, a lot of fermented foods, um, you know, a lot of sprouts, um, things like that, things that are going to feed the gut biome. Um, but you're experiencing a lot of gas. What, um, what would something like taking a Tums or a gas X, what would that do that might be potentially negative? And what are maybe like some alternatives to deal with any kind of gas or bloating that's coming from incorporating those foods into your diet? Okay. Awesome question. So with probiotics in fermented foods and with prebiotics. So let me back up a step because I didn't really go over this. Probiotics is what we hear about all of the time. They're the good bacteria, right? Prebiotics are fibers that feed the good bacteria. So what we do is it's, uh, it's kind of like thinking about them like soldiers. When we take probiotics or we eat fermented foods, we're throwing a lot of soldiers down into the battlefield of our gut. But if we don't feed them, what's going to happen? They're going to die. So we have to feed them with prebiotic fibers as well. And one of the really great things about fermented veggies, if, you know, if you're talking about that, is that we get both. We get the probiotics and we get the prebiotics. So a pretty great combination. A little bit goes a long way because bacteria are fermenting these fibers. And like I said, when bacteria ferment starches, carbohydrates, and fibers, they produce gas. That's what they're supposed to do. That's like normal, natural process. However, if it's, if we're kind of new to this, this feeding the microbiome, that gas production can feel really uncomfortable. And so we just have to give our bodies time to adapt. So the most important thing is to just kind of start with a really low dose and like slowly and incrementally work your way up to a, a higher dose. Taking Tums would have a negative impact in that it's suppressing our stomach acid. So we're kind of turning off our digestion when we take Tums. Once in a while, no big deal, but if we're consistently relying on them, not the, not the best. From a gas X perspective, um, it's not really like fundamentally detrimental. I really like carminative herbs, which are herbs that help to expel gas. I think that's a, a better solution. Um, you know, when you have like trapped gas in your intestines and you're just like, oh, you feel awful. Certain herbs help to like get, move that gas along and through, they can be really helpful. So things like fennel or anise seed or um, peppermint and ginger, all of these things are really helpful. If you take 
aniseed, fennel seed, and caraway seeds, and you like smash them up in a little mortar and pestle, you can make a tea and that can be really helpful as well. It's just kind of like get the gas moving. Um, I recommend a brand of bitter tincture. So a couple of ones come to mind. Gaia Herbs make one called Swedish Bitters and then Urban Moonshine. They're a Vermont based company. I think I'm saying that right. They make another really great herbal uh, bitter tincture. Um, the thing with, with taking bitters in that form, Heather, you want to do it a couple of a few minutes before you eat, because that's going to stimulate the production of your own gastric juices. So if you can do it like 10 to 20 minutes before you eat a meal, that's even better. This episode is brought to you by our show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is a multi-strain probiotic, four times the concentration of the original formula, which is why I prefer it. All of their probiotic strains are backed by clinical research. It really makes a great everyday probiotic. I just had somebody on Instagram reach out and say, this stuff has changed me. Thank you. So it's a great product. And the cool thing about it is that there's no need to refrigerate it. So you can take it with you when you're traveling, which I highly recommend because most of our guts get really jacked up when we're off our schedule, when we're traveling, when we're doing things that we don't normally do. So taking a probiotic with you is a good bet. You can give it to your kiddos. Those, uh, the capsules can break apart. You can sprinkle it into yogurt or oatmeal or add it to a drink. This is what I do for Hattie. I put in a little shot glass with a bit of water and she just shoots it down. So head to their website using the link in our show notes, use code funk 15 to save 15% off of your order. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.